Welcome in to the Monday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope you're doing well. I am your host, Charlie. We are back from the small holiday break. Hope you guys had an excellent Christmas. Hope that a lot of you are not working this week, or if you are, you're just in for a couple days, whatever it may be. Hopefully this is a good time to relax, recharge, get ready for the new year. We are going to be pumping out podcasts all week for you, as we like to do. As we The, the blog, I used to say the blog never sleeps. Uh, the podcast never sleeps either. We will have podcasts all week. Hope you guys will enjoy all of those. Uh, we have a good show today. We're going to talk about why the Packers need to shut the haters up and why the haters have arrived. Uh, we'll also do some star ratings from Packers-Browns. We will talk about Giannis's masterful performance on Christmas Day, and then we'll be out of here for for the Monday show. Make sure that you're rating, reviewing, subscribing to our podcast, whether it's on Spotify, whether it's on Apple, it's on anywhere else you can probably get your podcast. We're also all over social media, Tabby the Keg Sports, as on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and then on Twitter, Tapping the Keg. So make sure you're following us there, and let's start talking about the Green Bay Packers and the haters. So the term haters is always used in sports. It's used all over the sports landscape. It is a very popular phrase when people are, quote, hating on your team, and then that makes those people haters. It's pretty self-explanatory. I think we all know it. But the Green Bay Packers have amassed them in the last few weeks. Uh, The Green Bay Packers have not basically led to people being confident in that team. And with what the Dallas Cowboys have done the last few weeks, I think people consider the Dallas Cowboys to be the favorite of the NFC. I don't think that's unreasonable at this point. Dallas has been ship-pumping teams. Now, granted, Dallas is ship-pumping the NFC East. They're not playing the competition that I think the Packers are. Even though the Ravens and the Browns were ravaged with COVID, they still have a really good coaching staff on both those teams. Kevin Stefanski is a great coach. Joe Woods, solid defensive coordinator. The Baltimore Ravens have John Harbaugh and they have Wink Martindale. They have a great coaching staff. Greg Roman too, who I know a lot of Ravens fans don't like. But besides the point, they aren't a tire fire. The football team, as well as the Giants, are tire fires. But still, the media and how we do you know, hot takes and everything like that, first take, Colin Coward, first things first, the undisputed, doesn't matter. Everybody's going to look at what the Cowboys did the last few weeks and are going to bump the Cowboys up ahead of the Packers in power rankings. And then there are also more of the analytical people who are saying that the Packers do not have good DVOA numbers And that is basically telling us that they are not going to succeed in the postseason. The Packers need to shut those people up. And how do they shut those people up? Well, number one, it's that they actually finish a two-score lead and finish the deal. What the Packers have been running into a lot this season is that they have the foot on the throat. They are ready to deliver the final blow and they just cannot seem to deliver that final punch. This has been a problem that plagued Mike McCarthy and it's now plaguing Matt LaFleur. 
Now, I don't know if this is LaFleur being too conservative. I don't know if this is the Packers sort of getting too comfortable. But it does seem like that this last game was a wake-up call. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams both talked about taking their foot off the gas pedal and saying how it cannot happen again. This from Pete Bukowski. The Green Bay Packers led 17-0 against the San Francisco 49ers. They led 16-7, then 22-14 against the Bengals. They're up 24-10 against the Cardinals, up 36-17 against the Rams, up 31-17 against the Ravens, up 24-12 against the Browns. Green Bay controlled all of those games. They were in control. But at the end of the day, I think all of those were one-score games. I think every one of those games ended as one-score games. And if you look at all of those, maybe the 49ers and the Bengals were the two where, well, I guess the Cardinals, because they were driving down to win that game, where there was potential that the Green Bay Packers could lose. The Green Bay Packers have held strong when it matters the most. The defense has come through with big plays, whether it was Darnell Savage breaking up the two-point conversion, whether it was Rasul Douglas's interception, whether it was the Rasul Douglas interception in Arizona. They've come through when it matters, especially down the stretch. That Rams game, I think, is a little fraudulent because the Rams were not in that game at all. That were, Those were basically garbage time touchdowns from the Rams. I know there was an onside kick. I get it. But the Rams really were not in that football game. They were never, it never felt like the Rams were going to come back and make this a game for the Green Bay Packers. So the question is, will this haunt Green Bay in the future? Will this come back to bite and basically justify the haters? I'm not sure. I, I, I think Green Bay has to take a long look and see this. They, I'm sure they know this that they are one more offensive possession away from basically putting the nail in the coffin in all of these games. And they just cannot do it. So is this because they're running the football too much? Is this because they're trying to rely on Jones and Dylan to get it done? I know that there's been a lot of criticism in more of the advanced metrics community talking about how Green Bay is not passing the ball enough on first and second down. And because they're not passing the ball on first and second down, it's leading to third and longs, and it's making Aaron Rodgers' life difficult. Now, Aaron Rodgers is probably the MVP of of the NFL, and I think that Rodgers is okay and Rodgers can survive, but you can see that's clearly plaguing the Green Bay Packers right now. So I wonder if there will be a switch in strategy from Matt LaFleur, from Nathaniel Hackett, from Luke Getze, and if they really look into this and they really dig in and say, all right, what can we do to make sure that we put the foot on the throat and fucking finish a team? And that a team is dead versus them getting up from the ground and all of a sudden we are all sweating it out, whether we're on our couch, whether we're on the sidelines, whether we're in the stands. I don't think any of us want that. And we've had these issues before. We've had teams come back on the Green Bay Packers, whether it be in the Favre era, whether it be in the Rodgers era. I mean, we all remember the 2014 Seattle Seahawks team. And we all remember what happened in that game. I don't think I need to go through blow by blow. I think we even talked about it last week when we were talking about like ghosts of Packer playoff past. We all know what's happened to us against Seattle. That was an absolute disaster. That was an absolute worst case scenario. 
Green Bay needs to avoid that come playoff time. And they need to do it by keeping that foot on the gas pedal. And they need to continue with all gas, no brakes. Because right now, I don't think Green Bay is at an all gas, no brakes lifestyle. I think that they are putting the pedal to the metal early. But all of a sudden, as we continue on and as the game goes forward and Green Bay gets out to a large lead, they start to pull up. All right, let's move on to star ratings. Star ratings, if you're unfamiliar, if you're a new listener, if someone told you about us over the holidays, which is great if they did, it is basically saying who played the best, who played the worst for the Green Bay Packers in their matchup against the Cleveland Browns. And we go from five to one, five obviously being the best, one being the worst. And that's kind of how we rate it. So think of it like uh, a restaurant. I think restaurants do five stars. Movies do four stars, but similar concept, right? If it's a one-star movie, that's going to tell you the movie sticks. It tells you the movie is not really worth your time. Uh, Chuck's Corner for another day. It's not for this. I've decided to become a movie guy versus a TV guy. That I have like so many shows that I haven't watched. Like I've never seen Peaky Blinders. I've never seen Breaking Bad. Never seen The Wire. I haven't seen Deadwood. I'm trying to think of other shows I haven't seen. There are a lot of them, honestly. There are like I never saw Squid Game. Like whenever there's like a big trending show, I usually don't see it. Um, No, I know some of the other ones I mentioned didn't, but like think of all the trending shows this year. I was like, I I don't just buy into like Twitter hype where it was like, oh, you gotta watch Squid Game. Like. whatever don't care um unless and it's usually it's because if my wife doesn't want to watch it i don't really it's not it doesn't matter now emily in paris which i know trended last week we watched that i didn't watch as much she binged the fuck out of that she could give you a full recap but we're not here to talk about that we're here to talk about the packers and browns game five stars first five star goes to Devonte adams Devonte adams is the best wide receiver in football i don't think it's close I know people might want to say Cooper Cup. I realize Cooper Cup's going to win the receiving triple crown, which I didn't even know was a thing. And then I was like, wow, is that that important? And then Steve Smith won it one year. And I was like, well, okay, like Steve Smith, good player, but I've never really considered Steve Smith to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, maybe people will debate his case, but I was like, is this really that important? Like, it's it doesn't seem like it's as rare that Steve Smith did it. Like, if Jerry Rice was the last guy to do it, for example, or Calvin Johnson, for that matter, I'd be like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. This is a big fucking deal. But Steve Smith kind of weirdly, you know, dilutes it. But Devontae Adams is the best receiver in football. It's not, it's not close. Devontae Adams is a dominant player out there. And the relationship that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams have on the football field is really unlike anything in football. It's hard to think of a combination of quarterback and receiver where they are on the same page consistently throughout the football game. It's it's extremely hard to find. And Devontae deserves a ton of credit for the way that he has played throughout this season. I mean, he's had a great year. He had 10 catches, 114 yards, two touchdowns in this one, and looked the part. Like, he looked like the best receiver in football. He just missed a couple of balls. He had a little bit of a drop issue at the end. Uh, one, one of them was more he heard footsteps and, you know, did not catch that ball. I mean, you can't bring in everything. And I think Devontae might have made a business decision there. It's like, I'm not getting concussed right before the playoffs. And the other one, I think, just was a, either a bad throw or they had a guy drop draped on him. I'm not saying like interference or anything, but yeah, Devontae Adams, definitely a five-star guy for this game. He deserves all the credit for what he did 
against the the Cleveland Browns. <coughs> Other five star goes to Brett Favre and his message to Aaron Rodgers. I'm sure you all saw it. I'm sure you all watched the game. Christmas, you're there with your family. You saw Brett Favre. My mom was hot because we were trying to watch the end of the Bucks game. And we missed that moment. And my mom was like, what did Brett Favre say? She loves Brett Favre. Huge Brett Favre gal. And Brett Favre's congratulating 12, as he says. Congrats, 12. Now go win us another Super Bowl. Was amazing. It got played inside Lambeau Field. Everybody went nuts. Brett Favre, man, is always going to bring good feelings to Green Bay Packer fans. I realize that some of the more liberal Packer fans did not like Favre's approach with Donald Trump and some of the other hot takes that he had. But regardless, Brett Favre is still your dude. He's never going to be somebody that people get rid of or people don't think of. Brett Favre is a fucking legend for a reason. And Brett Favre, just that message alone was so special. And to say, go win us another Super Bowl was just something really cool, man. And something really unexpected, in my opinion. And just makes me yearn for more Brett Favre. And I know Brett Favre in Mississippi. I realize there are some problematic things. But to have Brett Favre be more part of the Packers is always going to be a good thing. And it just makes me so happy that Brett Favre, throughout all the bullshit, all the stuff that has went on throughout, you know, the years after he retired, that Green Bay and him are now best buds. And that we'll see more of Brett Favre as the years go on. And I hope that the Rodgers scenario and everything that happens that we don't have a cooling period where Aaron Rodgers is basically persona non grata or Rodgers doesn't want to basically have anything to do with Green Bay. Like, I would hate for that, honestly. Like, I, I would really dislike that if Rodgers basically was like, fuck off for multiple years because the Packers trade him or something else happens and they basically have this chilly relationship for years to come. I don't see it. Uh, Rodgers looks so happy. I think Aaron Rodgers is coming back. I think if anyone says Rodgers isn't coming back or talks about teams that Aaron Rodgers could get traded to, they are just a clickbait artist. That all they're trying to do is get you to buy in. It's all engagement bait, clickbait, and trying to basically deter you from the plan ahead, which is win a Super Bowl, have another great year, Rodgers probably stays, Love probably goes. I would be shocked if Jordan Love doesn't even try to force his way out, honestly. Like, I think that's an underreported story that what happens if Aaron Rodgers stays? Like, does Jordan Love start saying, I'm the number one pick, man? Like, what are you going to do? Is this, this is kind of shit or get off the pot? Like, I, I'm not going to be a backup forever. Like, I need to, need to spread my wings here. So, I wouldn't be surprised if Love tries to actually force his way out. But that's another story for another time. Four stars, uh, Rasul Douglas, man, every week it seems like Rasul Douglas comes through with a big play. Rasul Douglas is a Packer legend. Uh, he has done so much for this Green Bay team. I have no idea where the Packers are if Rasul Douglas is not on the roster. I know that's been said m multiple times, but Rasul Douglas is a stud. He's a dog. And he continues to come up with big play after big play. He had two interceptions in this football game. He lived in Baker Mayfield's kitchen. Yeah, he had one bad play on the touchdown that the Browns did have. But other than that, Rasul Douglas has been fantastic. 
and he continues to shine, especially at Lambeau Field. I mean, he has four interceptions in the last three games at Lambeau Field. He seems to really enjoy or whatever the peripherals are. I would love to know that, honestly, like from one of the big J's for the Packers. Like, I'd love to know like what makes Lambeau Field so easy to pick off passes. It can't just be the quarterbacks. Like I know Baker Mayfield's trash. I know Matt Stafford likes to throw a lot of interceptions. I know Justin Fields is a new quarterback. But there has to be something with the sight lines, right, where he's just seeing the ball better. Now, all these games are at night, so maybe it is the the combination of the lights and everything like that, and it leads to more clear vision for Rasul. He's going to get another night game with Kirk Cousins next week, so it would not surprise me if we see another Rasul Douglas big play out of him as he gets another night game. Staying with the secondary for four stars, I'm going to give another one to Darnell Savage. Darnell Savage, great bounce back game for him. He had eight he had eight tackles in this one. He also had a big interception of Baker Mayfield, which was really an arm pump by Mayfield early on in this game. I think to me, that or the Shannon Sullivan pick were very important in, in this football game. The Savage interception, I think, is a little more important. I know Chando picked it off in the red zone, which is very important and it matters. But Savage picking that off kind of set the tone because Green Bay was trailing at that point. The our Cleveland had had a lead and Cleveland was leading in this one and then they get the ball back and when they immediately get the ball back Baker gives it right back up to to Darnell Savage who makes the interception makes the big play and I think that was sort of a tone setter and sort of made things you know pushed it in the right direction got the Green Bay offense going they were able to score. They were able to start taking a lead, kind of forcing control, and that's what they did. So credit to Darnell Savage. That was really solid, and it's a nice little bounce-back game for him after a very tough game against Baltimore. Three stars, I'll give one to Aaron Jones. I know we don't talk too much about the Packers running game recently. They've kind of been sort of, I wouldn't say substandard, but they've just been kind of average. They're just kind of there. I can't like discredit what Jones did where he had over 60 yards of rushing. He also had five catches for 21 yards. So around 80 some total yards in this one. Aaron Jones continues to be a factor. I do wonder a little bit if the Jones and Dylan partnership, the dual system is kind of wearing on these guys where it's not letting one of them establish themselves. This might be something worth discussing, worth looking into as we get closer to playoffs, I do wonder if Matt LaFleur is going to basically say, all right, it's an Aaron Jones game. We're going to ride Aaron Jones or vice versa. It's an A.J. Dillon game. We're going to ride A.J. Dillon. Be very curious to see if Green Bay continues to stick with that approach come playoff time. Other three stars, no special teams there. So I'm not giving special teams a four star, three star. But look, they did not. They did not have any errors in this game. There were no issues where we were like, fuck the special teams. We're like, fire Murray Strain. They had no issues in this game. So credit to the special teams for not fucking up and just doing their job. I think we're all appreciative that the special teams did not screw anything up in this football game. So good job on you. I'm happy the special teams did not do anything. Other three star, and it really could be a two star, is Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary had two sacks in this game. Rashawn Gary was in Baker Mayfield's kitchen all day long. He could have been at home with Baker Mayfield and Rashawn Gary. Most games, Rashawn Gary would get a four-star, maybe even a five-star for what, what he did. 
But the problem is Rashawn Gary cannot set a fucking edge to save his soul. This was a criticism of him out of the draft. That Rashawn Gary was so focused on getting to the quarterback that he forgets that he has to also be a run defender. And because Rashawn Gary did not set the edge, all Cleveland was doing was running to the two-hole or the eight-hole. For those unfamiliar, for those who haven't played football, the two-hole and the eight-hole are where you would line up a tight end. So if you were doing a one-back system and you'd have two tight ends, your tight end would be flanked out on either your two or your eight. The two would be the right side and the eight would be the left side. That was all Cleveland was doing, which is really similar to what Chicago had did for part of that game against the Packers and what a lot of Baltimore did. Green Bay has to figure out how to stop contain. So whether that is putting Devondre Campbell into more of an edge rushing position in obvious running downs, if that means adding an extra linebacker, they have to figure it out. They have to do something different because right now it is not working. And Green Bay's run defense is an absolute disaster. And part of the reason why the run defense has sprung a leak is not necessarily inside because Kenny Clark's got that. They had some issues against Baltimore, but that was because Clark didn't play because of COVID. They have issues on the outside. They have to fix that because if they don't, it's going to get exploited. There are teams in the playoffs that have very good running games. The Dallas Cowboys, the San Francisco 49ers, the Philadelphia Eagles do have a good run game, but the Philadelphia Eagles were basically 3-3 with the, the New York Giants halfway through that game. I realize they blew them out in the second half. I just cannot take the Eagles seriously. I Please tell me your favorite Eagles victory of the season because there aren't many. And I will I will love to hear what the Eagles have done against good teams this year. They haven't. I don't know if the Philadelphia Eagles have beat a playoff team this year. I don't think they have. You can fact check that. Tell me. But I'm not ready to buy into the Eagles, even though I know what they do could give the Green Bay Packers fits. Green Bay has to figure that out immediately because guess what? Even though Minnesota probably doesn't have Delvin Cook for next week, they are going to attack the corners just like Cleveland did with Alexander Madison. And Alexander Madison is no slouch. Alexander Madison can easily rush for 100, 200 yards. Like, there's a real opportunity that Alexander Madison could go off. So Green Bay has to figure that out. Rashawn Gary, a definite issue. Two stars also to Chris Barnes. Chris Barnes has been a disaster in the run game recently. I love Chris Barnes. Chris Barnes is a guy that I really fancy, I guess would say be the best way to say it, on the Packer defense, but he's been a disaster last few weeks in terms of stopping the run. He is just not providing the same support that Devondre Campbell is. I don't know if that's Green Bay needing to make a switch. I don't know who else would be there. I, Ty Summers does not do anything for me. Oren Burks has had issues in stopping the run in the past. I'm not sure if Green Bay can rotate anyone in that will be better than Chris Barnes, but Chris Barnes just has to do a little bit better job in space because they're getting burned because they don't have that other outside inside linebacker, you know, being the rangy guy that Campbell is. Another two stars getting stepped on. Sucked that Aaron Rodgers, you know, said he felt really good. And then Royce Newman's fat ass steps on him. I think Miles Garrett also stepped on him. Uh, Rodgers' toe continues to be a little bit of an issue. I do think part of the reason why 
Green Bay got a little conservative in this game was because of Rodgers' toe injury. That has not been said. It's not been talked about. We'll see if Rodgers says anything to McAfee tomorrow and says, like, yeah, we kind of took our foot off the brake because of, like, the toe injury, and that was a huge issue. And we basically, you know, tried to play conservative to basically rest my toe, and my toe was really hurting, and I was limited to what we could do offensively. Who knows if that he'll be that honest, that transparent. He technically sometimes is with McAfee, but we'll see. Um, that, that's my working theory on what happened. Hopefully Rodgers is going to be all right with Minnesota. He gets the extra day as the Packers did play Saturday. So that does help a little bit with Green Bay. Uh, one star, we talked about taking the foot off the gas pedal. That was only my only one star. So I will pivot and also include the run defense. How can you not include the run defense? They got ran all over by Cleveland. Nick Chubb, Dearness Johnson had themselves a fucking day. They could have probably ran that ball continually down and got a field goal attempt to beat the Packers. I think that Kevin Stefanski, in my opinion, knew they could not get like a 50 or, or they could not trust Chris Nagger to give them a 50 yard field goal. There is no way. New kicker, guy who's barely, barely done it. I don't think they trusted him from anywhere above 40 yards and out. So basically, they had to get down the field. And they needed to do it a little bit with passing. I think he could have ran a couple more times and done that. But it was really hard, I think, for Stefanski to be like, all right, keep running the football with only a minute or something left on the clock. They needed an extra two minutes. I think if they get an extra two minutes, they probably beat the Packers. And that could be the same case for Baltimore. But who knows? We'll, we'll just sort of never know with both of those games. A win is a win. We'll take it as is. But that run defense was absolutely pathetic. And let's hope they come through next week against Minnesota because it doesn't get any easier facing a Vikings team that is trying to get into the playoffs. To wrap up the show, we're just going to talk a little bit about Giannis Antetokounmpo. How could you not talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo after his performance against the Boston Celtics? I think that all of us were thinking the same thing on Christmas Day. Boston owns us. I don't know why Boston owns us suddenly. We beat them in the playoffs. Why are we continually struggling with this team? They are an average team at best. Is it just they're giving the the Bucs their best version of themselves and that's why they're so good? Is it because the Bucs are really struggling on wing defense? What it What is it? And the Celtics led thir- by 13 with five minutes left. And Milwaukee all of a sudden put the pedal to the metal. And the reason why was Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis Antetokounmpo went absolutely off. 36 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists. Had a massive block at the end of the game. Which was basically reminiscent of the block that he had against DeAndre Ayton in the NBA Finals. Jason Tatum was ready to go up. But he realized he was going to get blocked by Giannis. Dished it to Robert Williams on a fast break. And Giannis blocked Williams instead. And then finding Wes Matthews for the clutch three. Wes Matthews playing in the closing time lineup with the Bucs right now is an interesting development. We'll see if that continues. Uh, when the Bucs have some of their bigger games or have their tighter games, you don't expect the games against Orlando the next two weeks, two days to be tight, but you never know. So we'll see if that trend continues where we have Wes Matthews down the stretch playing for the Bucs versus Grayson Allen or Dante DiVincenzo. Giannis Antetokounmpo, though, was incredible in that. Some of the moves that he was making, he just took 
control of that basketball game. There are people who say that Kevin Durant is better than Giannis Antetokounmpo for basically that reason, because Giannis can't take over games. I will submit that tape anytime that someone says that, because this was a takeover. This was Giannis saying, I am not losing this fucking game. I'm sick and tired of losing to Boston, and I am going to win this fucking game by myself. That is what Giannis Antetokounmpo did in that basketball game. And it just speaks to why Giannis is the best player in basketball. And it should be a warning sign to the rest of the league. Like the rest of the league should watch that and be like, oh shit. Because to me, that's another level of Giannis Antetokounmpo. We've seen it a little bit here and there where Giannis is just dominant through an entire game, such as the game six against the Phoenix Suns where he has 50 points to close out the Phoenix Suns and win a championship. But the late game heroics like that has not really been part of Giannis's repertoire. We've seen it from Chris Middleton in the past. We've seen it a little bit from Drew Holiday. You know, Giannis will have moments late game, but to be basically the guy down the stretch, we haven't seen that out of Giannis Antetokounmpo. And he was just a phenom. Like he was, he just could not be stopped by Boston. There's nothing that Boston could do. And they were completely on their heels and they got punched in the mouth and they were not ready for that final punch. If, if Boston sustains that final punch, they win that basketball game. All Boston had to do was make one or two shots and Boston wins that basketball game and they're feeling good out of Christmas saying maybe we have something here. We at least can own Milwaukee. And then that to me is a big headline next week of like, do the Bucks have a Boston problem? I think that would be a discussion we would have to have. And instead, Giannis Antetokounmpo shut it all up and said, I am the best player in basketball. I am not losing this game and we are winning this. And Giannis did just that. I I was so impressed. I think I was more impressed with Giannis's performance than anything that happened in the Packer game. I think if you're a full-on Bucks Packers fan, you'd watch both those games and you're like, what Giannis did outweighs anything that we saw from Green Bay. Maybe Devontae Adams, but to me, like Giannis was the king of Christmas. I don't think anything else, you know, is in is in comparison. And really, now you're starting to hear Giannis MVP cases. It's way too early to talk about the MVP, okay? Like, I appreciate it. I get it. But it's to me, it's way too early. I think the Christmas Day headlines for the NBA, number one, it's Giannis. Number two, it's the Warriors and Suns are the two best teams in the West. The Warriors and Suns are probably going to be your Western Conference Finals, depending on seeding, of course. But that, to me, seems like the matchup. And then number three, it's the Lakers are a complete disaster. And that, to me, are the three biggest topics of the of your, your Christmas day. And the Knicks court was absolutely gross. That might be number four. But seriously, like those are the those are the things you take away from Christmas. But Giannis is the best player in basketball. It's not Kevin Durant. I understand that there are a lot of people that want to build a case for KD. I get it. KD does some incredible things. I've never been more terrified to go up against a player than I was watching the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks and Kevin Durant having the ball late. I cannot, it's hard to explain how nervous I was with Kevin Durant holding the basketball down the stretch in that in those games against the Milwaukee Bucks. Kevin Durant's a complete game wrecker and I was nervous as all hell 
that Kevin Durant was going to come through with the big moment, with the big the big basket, and he didn't. He, well, he did in some games. I mean, Game Five, but he and he did in Game Game Seven. I mean, yeah, the foot was on the line. We know all the whole shit, but it's definitely a battle between Giannis and Durant, and it, it just makes it a lot of fun. It's going to be a really fun ride down the stretch. I I think the NBA is going to you know kind of revert some of their COVID stuff, and they're going to pull back. After the holiday break, I think their 1-8 is kind of the next time that the NBA is going to meet on this stuff. I think they're going to start saying, all right, asymptomatic players can play. It's a five-day isolation. They've already started discussing this stuff. I think you're going to start seeing more of it. I don't think COVID's going to ruin their season, quote-unquote. I actually think it's going to get a lot better. And I think you're going to have a fun sprint to the finish with the Milwaukee Bucks, the Brooklyn Nets, Philadelphia 76ers are going to be there. We'll see if the Chicago Bulls are real. I think this is now when we can really start talking that conversation of how real are the Chicago Bulls. And I know Alonzo Ball just went in the protocol. I know Alex Caruso's banged up. They had a nice win against the Pacers last night. But these next two months, I think we're really going to tell us a lot about the Chicago Bulls and see what the Chicago Bulls are. I think the Sixers are getting better. The Sixers do need some help on the perimeter, but once they get that, I think they're going to be a true contender. The idea of Giannis versus Embiid, Giannis versus Durant is is a real possibility, and Brooklyn's going to get Kyrie back at some point, and it's a very strong possibility. We get Kyrie, Harden, and Durant against the Milwaukee Bucks in Milwaukee on January 7th because the Bucks don't have any vaccine protocols so Kyrie can play in that game. And who knows what that'll look like. Kyrie, I think, hasn't played since getting his ankle stepped on by Giannis, which some have still called dirty, which is a dumb fucking thing that, that continues on. But yeah, it's going to be a fight. And I, I really am curious also to see the Bucks against the Phoenix Suns in their two games. They haven't played the Suns yet this year. And the Golden State Warriors. We'll see the Bucks Warriors... On the 13th, uh, that Thursday, I will I will be in Hawaii. More to come on that when we do podcasting uh, during the start of the year. Usually it's a good time to doing podcasting. So we'll figure that out. Don't worry about it. Obviously, the blog will go quiet. I know we don't do much on, on the blog. We still have it. Tammy the Keg Sports blog on there occasionally. I'm still trying to figure out the sweet sauce uh, because I do think we need a differentiator there. But anyways... Staying with the Bucks, yeah, you're going to see what happens down the stretch here with these teams. We're not entirely at stretch point, but as we get closer to February, this is now when people start paying attention. This is when takes start flying about the NBA. Christmas is over. Now people are starting to conversate about where the NBA is going this season. And right now, to me, the teams are the Bucks the Nats, the Warriors, the Suns, and I'd put the Sixers in there. Those, to me, are the five teams that I think are worth talking about on a regular basis. I think the Lakers are irrelevant, and the Lakers are just a team that's too old, and LeBron wanted to play with his friends instead of getting younger, and that's on LeBron. Why they didn't sign Alex Caruso, why they didn't try to bring back Lonzo Ball, why they didn't try to do some of the things that would have made them younger or work with guys like Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell. Oh, Montrez, yeah, Montrez Harrell was on there. Um, they, they just didn't get it done. So that's on LeBron, but that's 
that's another story for another time. It's probably for a national podcast, not a Scott's podcast. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we'll talk about many more things. Who knows? Uh, maybe we'll do like a best of 2021. I know people do that. Like, I'm not going to do clips, but more of like the top things in Wisconsin for the year. Do kind of a yearly wrap up. That that's going to happen at some point this week. We'll also do a podcast with Mitch. I have a great sort of thing to do with Mitch. I'm excited for that one. So look forward to all of that. We will see you guys tomorrow. All right, see you. Bye.